Netflix's 30% decline today. North Carolina's tragic loss to Kansas in the NCAA men's basketball tournament. Death. One of these three April topics is absolutely worth at least one good dinner talk. And while the first two, Netflix and My Tar Heels, still have me hurting here in late April, this too shall pass. It's the third topic that can add the most value to the world this week. As I convene five friends to do something on this podcast we've never done before. Talk about death over dinner. Well, if you listened in last week, you were in for a treat. As I welcomed author Michael Hebb to talk about the subject people don't want to talk about. And we talked about how not talking about it is so costly. Not just in dollars, though, yes, but an even greater cost, a human cost, a psychological toll. And then at the end of last week's podcast, we promised you a treat. Michael would come back this week and do something for the first time on a podcast that he's done thousands of times in person. Host a group of friends to talk about death over dinner. Well, I got my friends and we got our topic. And we have a world-class host this week as we do death over dinner. Only on this week's Rule Breaker Investing. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. I don't know whether most recently you've had breakfast, lunch, or dinner, but I want you to know this week's podcast has very much a dinner feel because we literally had dinner together as we recorded this week's podcast for you. Now, when I say we, I want to make sure up front I tell you who our five guests are. We have our host, Michael Hebb, author of the wonderful book, Let's Talk About Death Over Dinner. I interviewed Michael last week. I highly recommend that conversation if you did not hear it. But even if you didn't hear it, you're going to enjoy this week's dinner. And Michael is our host. He talks us through a death over dinner. Have you ever done this yourself before? Well, I had not. But what a treat it was to have a world-class host talking us through. And a big reason for this week's podcast is I wanted this to serve as an exemplar for you to hear what this sounds like, what it feels like, so that you might consider in your own context a similar dinner, a similar conversation with those close to you. And a lot of us have never done this before, so we might wonder, what does it sound like? Well, with five guests this week, you might wonder, what does each one of them sound like? And I think it'll be easy enough to track their voices. But before we get started, I must introduce each of the five people you'll be hearing from this week. Guest number one is Dan Simons. Dan is the co-founder and co-owner of Founding Farmers, an American upscale casual restaurant chain that leads Washington, D.C. in both sales and vision. To wit, Dan founded Our Last Straw, a not-for-profit devoted to eliminating the use of plastic straws. Our dinner served with this podcast was generously donated by Founding Farmers, and our bottle of dry rosé came from its sister company, Founding Spirits. You can find out more, or if you're in the D.C. area, order Mother's Day at home at wearefoundingfarmers.com. Guest number two, alphabetically by first name, David Gardner. That is, that is I. I think, hope, you know me pretty well by now. Guest number three is Jennifer Gennaro Oxley. Jennifer left a career in both for-profit and not-for-profit change management 
in order to become the founding executive director of the Motley Fool Foundation. The Motley Fool Foundation launched earlier this month, pursuing its mission of financial freedom for all. And if you didn't get a chance to meet her and learn about the Fool Foundation, you must have missed the first weekly podcast of this month entitled Introducing the Motley Fool Foundation. So you should go back and listen to it or visit us at foolfoundation.org. Guest number four is my wife, Margaret. Well, first off, in about a dozen ways, Margaret helped me and Tom found The Motley Fool and keep it going from the earliest days through to now. She raised three redoubtable now adult children. She recently completed a master's in theological studies from Wesley Seminary in Washington, D.C., and now serves as an associate for small group ministry and adult education at National Presbyterian Church. Finally, on a personal note, now seven years in, Margaret is finally making her Rule Breaker Investing podcast debut this week. And guest number five is my friend, Vinard Wright. Vinard has for a few decades served as a chief technology officer for several organizations in the greater Washington, D.C. area. He is today the chief executive officer of Wave Welcome. He has four kids, including a Marine and at least one track star, but also has mentored so many more. You can find him at wavewelcome.com. Dinner is served. Well, the best way to start just about anything is by starting. So this group of five new friends um, are gathered around a virtual table tonight. Um, And those are people listening to us from around the world. Um, We are not in the same place, something for you to notice. Um, But we are looking into each other's eyes. And for those of us that are around this table, because we don't have the smell of the same food being cooked on the stove, um, I'm going to have us imagine um, just a, a quick scenario. And people can close their eyes or they can keep them open. But because this is about dinner and it is about connecting with each other, one, you know, and even those of you who are listening, we can all do this together. Just take a deep breath. It's important that we actually get present. We're humans. We're about to have a very human conversation. And then I just want you to imagine that you're in a beautiful home, like a place that really just signifies home to you. And the whole day there have been beautiful smells coming out of the kitchen. And now we're sitting around a table that is candlelit. It feels comfortable. It feels like a place we want to be. And there's been some wine poured. Um, There's been a few laughs. And now we've settled in. The food is on the table, but we've been been instructed to not start eating yet because first we have to do something very important. So every death dinner that has ever happened starts with a very simple ritual. And those of you who have your eyes still closed, you can open them again. We're now at that table in our mind, and but also looking at each other here. Um, but the way that we start these dinners and the way that we're going to start tonight is a very, very old ritual or gesture or wonderful thing to do, and that's by honoring an ancestor. And the way that we do it at Death Over Dinner is if you have a candle that's close to you, we're going to ask that 
when it's your turn that you'll light it. And you're going to think of somebody that has died. Um, sometimes you say somebody who we've lost, someone who's not with us, but those words aren't really right. Somebody who's died. Um, we want to use words that are actually emblematic of what we're talking about tonight. Um, so think of somebody who has died that had a positive, powerful impact in your life. Um, this can be somebody who's in your family, somebody who knew. Some people actually talk about celebrities that had a profound impact on them when they died, or a pet. It doesn't have to be limited to just your grandmother or your mother or somebody who's close to you, because not everyone has experienced a death that's close to them. Um, so the first thing to note is that you might edit. You might have somebody come to mind, and then you might think, oh, that's a little bit too emotional or too fresh or too raw. And I'm going to ask that you actually honor that person um, by talking about the first person who comes to mind. And this is going to be popcorn style, and we're going to hear some people that are going to talk over some over each other, and someone's going to say, "Excuse me, no, you, you." So, um, but there is no order tonight. Um, but we will go around to everybody for this beginning um, introduction, and um, I hope that those that are with us tonight will say their name first, so we can start to get to know their voice and their name, and then talk about that person. Um, but I want it to be just a minute long. This is going to be the shortest, deepest eulogy. <laughs> um, and focus on what you know the person meant to you. What, what was the impact they had on your life? And tell us their name. And once you're done talking about them, um, somebody else will begin talking and you can light a candle in their honor. So I'm just going to open up to whoever wants to go first. So I'll start. Um, and the person that I'm going to honor is my maternal grandfather, John Williams Sr. And so he's he passed away at this point almost 26 years ago. And when I was in college, I lived with him, and it was a rough experience for me because he was a very uncompromising man. And I never thought I would miss him the way that I did when he passed. But after he passed, I did realize the void that he left as a result of passing. And the reason I still miss my grandfather so much is because, you know, just being perfectly honest, and my friend David knows this is how I am, I was a screw-up at the time. And I know that the part of the reason he was so hard on me is because he wanted to see me do better. So one of the things I wish is that he lived long enough to see the success in my career and otherwise. So that's part of the reason I'm honoring my grandfather, John Williams Sr. Thank you, Bernard. And I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i go next. Um, this is David Gardner, and I'm going to light a candle for my mother. My mother, Mary Dennett Murphy, her maiden name, and then Gardner, uh, and then McDill. She remarried toward the end of her life. And the reason I'm going to light a candle for my mother is because well, all the maternal things, and you can't express uh, in a day, let alone a minute, all the things you might want to say about your mother or father. But in particular, um, she she died in a way that was very admirable to me, and um, she she forsook extreme measures. She didn't even want chemotherapy. She had cancer, and she checked into a hotel, 
in New York City, her favorite hotel, and she spent her last six months of her life there. And uh, with the with the permission of the of the hotelier, but um, it was a demonstration to her kids and a lot of her friends that um, going out on your own terms uh, is a little bit of a heroic thing and something that I, I so appreciate. So lighting it for my mom, Mary Dennett. So this is Jennifer, and I'm going to take that cue, David and Bernard. Thank you for sharing. Uh, because my the person I'm honoring is my godmother, uh, my Aunt Carolyn, and she is my mom's sister. And the reason I'm honoring her is because she was the first person to tell me at 13 to get on that plane and come down and see her by myself. And I think the, the so many things she instilled in me, one is, and I'll say it quickly, that to, in order to move forward in your life, you need to challenge yourself. And getting on that plane by myself was the way to do it. But what I walked into was the most loving person on the planet who always knew I could do it and always knew that, uh, and I always knew that I was going into a place of extreme love from her. So um, though she died, unfortunately, not on her own terms and way, way too early, um, she certainly taught me that very important lesson of being free and taking chances um, and that there's always someone that's going to fall. Most often there's someone like that that will love you unconditionally, regardless of how you, what path you take. This is Margaret Gardner, and I'd like to honor my namesake, who was my paternal grandmother, also Margaret. And um, she, I, she was born into a family of seven girls. She had three boys, and all of her, her first two boys had boys. So I was the, the first uh, girl in her family and of her own, and uh, we were very close. Um, we talk about the the hospitality and the table. She she taught me what it meant to to serve others and to create a, a welcoming atmosphere, to be a good listener. And she um, she was actually born in 1896, so she had my father very late in life. And I felt a connection to history through her, which I really prized. Um, she was a Southerner that was a great storyteller and herself told a lot of stories about history and those are all, and that storytelling aspect is also something that I came to love through her. I need a deep breath. Um, this is Dan. Um, I will light my candle. Um, and the, person that I'm honoring is my brother-in-law. He was killed in a helicopter crash 15 years ago. Um, and he was just remarkable. Um, an endless supply of patience and wisdom seemingly at any age. He'd been in my life since I was probably seven or eight, started dating my sister when they were teenagers. Um, and they were married for, for decades before he was killed. And, um, you know, I don't know if he went out on his own terms, but he was a helicopter pilot. And so I think he went out on his own terms. And, you know, while I don't think it was the exact plan, um, 
I am, you know, grateful for having had him in my life for so long. And, uh, even his death, uh, has a element of, of being a gift to me. So I'm appreciative to have this group to think about it. Yeah, it's beautiful. And back to me, this is Michael. Um, and you know, my father always shows up. Um, and so I'm going to light a candle to my dad. Um, and my dad was born in 1904. For those of you who can't see me, I'm not 75. Um, but he was 72 when I was born. Um, and his name is Paul. And he was born in 1904 in a miner's shed in the Yukon Territory during the gold rush. Um, and he was also diagnosed with Alzheimer's when I was in second grade, and he died when I was 13. And he's really who this work is dedicated to um, in so many ways. Um, my family was left behind, didn't know how to talk about death and grief. Um, and and I think he did, but the Alzheimer's took that from him. So we didn't have the opportunity to have open conversations as a, fam as a family. But one thing that he taught me was how to be in nature. Um, but it was kind of, it was a, even more than a master class. He was a bit of a snow white. He would literally speak to animals on multiple occasions. Birds would fly out of trees onto his finger and spend some time chirping at him. Um, it wasn't a, you know, this was frequent. <laughs> so how to be in nature, um, was the, a, a thing that I, um, I learned from him. Um, and, and, you know, I honor him as much as I possibly can, Paul Hebb. And so we're going to move on to our first question. So um, those of you tuning in, um, hopefully you're imagining our table now lit with candles that are honoring these incredible folks that came before us. Um, and I'm going to give you a little bit of the kind of um, commentary on how these dinners come together in the sense we start with a question you've heard before. So kind of, it's not necessarily the shallow end of the pool because these even these kind of everyday questions that we've run into can evoke some pretty strong emotions. But we want to start with something that's almost a little more of an icebreaker. And that could be something like, what's on your bucket list? Why haven't you completed it? Um, what would the last meal you want to eat be? Um, but today we're going to talk about, because we are in your ears, you're listening to us, we're going to talk about music. Um, we're going to talk about a song and a song that you would want to have performed at your funeral or memorial or wake or whatever gathering that is going to happen um, after you die. And there's a real practical side to this. Um, a lot of people don't get this information from their loved ones. And there are some infights that happen around. Well, I think dad would want X, Y, and Z. So <laughs> there's it's a little practical bit at the core of it. So the question is, what song would play at your memorial? And if there is somebody in particular that comes to mind that you would like to have perform it, and that could be, you know, somebody famous or somebody in your family. This is, you know, this is fantasy world, um, but it also might be very practical. So we'll just go around popcorn style, whoever wants to answer this question. 
I'll jump in here. This is Dan. I um I definitely would want uh Bruce Springsteen born to run. And I love that you asked who I'd want to perform it because I would want my nieces and nephew to perform it. Um when they were really young, I paid each of them. I offered them uh, $20 each if they would memorize the lyrics. I, I thought, you know, I'm not a very effective parent, but I got to somehow give these kids that I'm raising, you know, some important things in life. And I think you need to know the lyrics to some Springsteen. And so I think that's what I would want played and how I would want it performed. It would be a nice culmination. Well, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do a quick follow up, and this is to everyone. We we got a little bit of the why, but why that song? Um, there's just something about Springsteen that when I hear his voice, specifically, I hear those lyrics. Well, it isn't exactly you know my exact story. Um, it's you know we got to get out of here, and we got to go do whatever we're capable of. We got to get after it. We got to get to it. Um, and we're, we're born to get to it. And that's, that's the message that I've always taken from that. And, um, still do, you know, life is for living until you're dead and then you're dead. Yeah. So I'll, I'll go next. This is Bernard. So for me, it would be take five by Dave Brubeck. And as far as who performs it, since Dave Brubeck wouldn't be able to perform it himself, I would love to have the Marsalis brothers perform it if I were able to pull that off. And the reason I'd love to have Take Five performed is everything about that song is off balance. And that's really the way that I try to live my life to keep people off balance. I, you know, one of the jokes I have with my interns is, be careful around me because I want you to stay on your toes. I'm always going to try and surprise you. And that's really what I hear in that song. And I'd love for that to be my final song. Bernard, this is Jennifer. So glad we know that about you now, now that we're on the rest of this podcast. <laughs> we'll try not to keep it together. Um, Absolutely. My, <laughs> my song, um, Always and Forever, is September by Earth, Wind & Fire. <laughs> But I love that if, song. I, if, if I had my druthers, it would be with Maurice White, who is also passed, was one of the founders, but the other three are still there. And um, because a couple of things, one, I was born in September. B, I think my birthday is a national holiday. Um, <laughs> I, as my husband said, it's the only thing I actually care about personally when I'm not taking care of others all year. Um, and I think the third thing is no matter what venue I've seen, Earth, Wind and Fire, no matter where, that song brings people together of all ages, all culture, all ethnicities. It doesn't matter that they, Earth, Wind and Fire have a way of bringing people together. And that song is just very much around how I live my life. And that's largely what I do. So, um, yeah, and I love it. Plus, it's just so darn fun. I mean, that's the other piece. Just gets you up and moving. Um, so. That's my song. But I love the other two as well. You know, I'm not as musically oriented, I think, as, as the average, average person. Uh, I really had not thought about this too much, Michael, even though I've read your book and loved your book, and <laughs> I probably should have expected this, but it's a reminder that I need to think about this going forward. 
I, I will say that a song that I've always loved, um, I don't know if, if, if we would be able to get um, Adina Menzel together to team up with Christian Chenoweth and re-rock re Defying Gravity from Wicked, but I've always loved that song because um, it's... I'm through accepting limits because someone says there's so some things I cannot change, but until I try, I'll never know. There, are, it's beautiful lyrics. It's an important. It, those who love the musical Wicked, and I'm a big fan of Broadway musicals, know that it's a it's a core song. It, it ends the first act. Something important happens. No spoilers to the Wicked Witch, so called of the West. But I, I I've loved, um, I, I love the idea of defying gravity. A lot of people don't think you could ever beat the market. Uh, it would be just luck to beat the market averages, and uh, and so anything that challenges conventional wisdom, and uh, you know, if you look at my Twitter um, profile, you'll see my quote is so. If you care to find me, look to the western sky. Well, I'm taking notes, David. So I'll be right now. What we need to do for the it's a fun <laughs> dynamic to have a couple. Michael mentioned it's kind of fun to have a, a husband and wife, but I, I really am not, Margaret. I am not pre-requesting that. I, I might <laughs> really. This is more a, a wake-up call for me to be more intentional here. Well, I think it's mind-opening for both of us. Um, since I I work within the church, I had more conventional hymns. Uh, some already picked out, but I'm a huge Earth, Wind, and Fire fan. I love the idea of bringing the, all of us together with Ooh. that. Um, probably something um, that speaks to those who are there, uh, if, it, if it isn't a church, an amazing grace or um, an ode to joy that uh, recognizes that the funeral services or the memorial or the Remembrance of life uh, is, is, for, is as much for the per people who are there than it is uh, for me, which I think everyone there kind of recognizes how we want to be remembered. But what, what brings light and hope to those who are saying goodbye? Yeah, I think that's a beautiful reminder. And Vinard, I've got it. Just share a quick reflection. One of my favorite musical moments of all time is when I got to see Dave Brubeck and his son play oh. Take Five together. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. I was like 17 years old at a jazz festival sitting just feet away from them. And I'm yeah, jealous. I can still <laughs> evoke it. Wow. Uh, but my, um, my song um, today, I mean, these things change as you step your foot in this river so often. But this is a pretty common one that comes up for me, and it's David Bowie's Starman. Um, and I would want a full sing-along with songbooks out to everybody. Um, and there's two reasons why, and I'll keep it brief. But one, that song has this real look back over your shoulder from the other side and wink and smile quality about it. Um, it really is letting people know it's all going to be okay, and I'm in a good spot because um, I actually think that, you know, it's going to be a wild ride when we all die, um, and 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 a good one. And um, the other reason is when I found out that David Bowie died, I cried my face off. Um, I literally started sobbing. Um, I was sitting in a cafe when I when I realized it um, because Bowie was playing, and I saw a post on a friend's Facebook feed that the brightest light in the universe has gone out today. Um, and I put the two and two together and just started sobbing. And I've never been impacted by a celebrity death. 
Um, and I didn't even consider myself the biggest Bowie fan, but there's something about that man's life um, and not having him on the planet that impacted me so deeply. So we're going to move on to a question that we might not get all the way around the table with. We'll see, because it's, it's a big question. Um, and the question is a little bit more of a context, um, like receiving news. And so you've all, the six of us here, have just received the news that we only have 30 days left to live. And the first question is, how do you feel? Second question is, what are you going to do with your 30 days? And then, what is your last day like? Who's around you? Where are you? How are you feeling? Now, before we jump in, let's just imagine that you're going to be well of mind and body up until the last day. It's not always the case, obviously. Um, but there are a lot of people out there that do get very short prognosis, very short life expectancy. Um, so the first thing to really focus on, you've just found out you have 30 days left to live. And you can continue through the other parts of this question as well. But how do you feel? Utterly shocked. Yeah, and let's just go around the whole table. Let's just talk about how we feel first. And then we'll talk about what we're going to spend those days doing. What's that first hit? I thought I'd be ready, but am I? And I, I think I would have to piggyback on what Margaret said. It's not so much that I'm afraid of it, just wondering if I'm ready, if the people around me are ready. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would say I'm okay and I'm terribly sad and worried for how everybody else is. Mm. I think I would yes and um I would say angry and grateful. Angry because I want to live. I love life. Uh and um for a thousand reasons and grateful because I've been so lucky in life. Yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, generally, it's Michael again. Um, my response to this um, over the last 10 years has been a, a strange kind of piece about getting that news. But as I'm thinking about it right now, no, I, I, I would not go gently <laughs> that good night. Um, and it's mostly because I'm really, really in love with somebody. And it's it's still relatively new. It's like a year and a half, and I'm and I'm not okay with that. Like we're just yeah. getting started. So, so I would you know I'd have a real problem with this news. Um, so now go a little bit longer. Somebody just walk us through what what are you going to do with that time? What are you going to do with the thirty days? Um, and and then take us all the way to your last day. And where are you? And who's around you? So uh, uh, this is Bernard. I'll jump in on that one. Um, so for me, if I know I have 30 days, all rules are out the window. I'll stop exercising, number one. <laughs> I will eat everything unhealthy they said will shorten your lifespan. So that means ribs, potato chips, uh, lots of liquor. I mean, it's, you know, I, I will have a good time for the last 30 days. And that will 
I guess, wind down to the last day where I'd love to have all of as many of my loved ones around me as possible. And I'd like to have individual time with each one of them. Um, and certainly, I guess, culminating with my kids and my wife, you know, I'd like to really explain a lot of, I guess, my interactions over the years. You know, if, if I was hard on them, here's why I was hard on them. Here's the potential I saw on you. Uh, with my wife, uh, just she'd be the last person I'd want to spend time with because, you know, I just want to let her know that she's been incredible. And I do wish, to your point, I had longer with her, you know, but that's really the way I would conduct myself. Certainly having a great time going up to the last day, but the last day making sure that people, there was no ambiguity around the way that I felt about each one of them. I think it's natural to start thinking about um, what I would want to do. Last minute bucket list, that sort of a thing. But really, having listened to the wisdom of, of the crowd here, I think it's a lot of it is just about making sure as many people that you care about are okay with this and understand and will proceed forward in a healthy way. And so I think it's about having conversations. So it's it's not... It's not uh, climbing that last mountain, I don't think. I think, I think if, if it were, if this, if and when this happens to me, um, I want to make sure that I have um, spent the time to say the things and captured those things, maybe for my great-grandchildren. Um, part of doing a podcast is in some ways I, I think, yeah, any of my great-grandkids could go back and listen to what we're saying right now. And so I sort of love that that legacy exists, but I might want to curate that a little bit more. But more than anything, I think it's about those human connections and making sure everybody understands and, and how it's going to go, go from here. Yeah. And what about your last day, David? Where are you? Uh, well, it's always so important to me to be in beautiful places. That's always been so inspiring and uplifting. So I'm pretty sure I'm at the beach. I'm probably in the state of North Carolina, okay. where uh, Margaret and I met um, as as uh, graduates of UNC Chapel Hill, and uh, and I I love looking out at the ocean, and so I think I think I'm there. Maybe we're scaring or alarming some of the other people around the beach on us because we have a whole gathering here, and I'm dying <laughs> in front of of the surf. But but I think I I think we're there just because it it's so uplifting to look up into the blue sky. And then across at an endless horizon. Yeah. One thing I appreciate from your book, Michael, is your emphasis on, on preparing people also just for the decisions that need to be made around the end. So if I haven't gotten them together yet, I hope by then maybe I will have uh, a meaningful uh, funeral crafted and our service that will bring um, others in in a way that they feel comfort in that. Um, I think it's also, for me, there is a little bit of a bucket list, the opportunity to um, to, to bring together, as, as David was kind of speaking of his podcast as a bit of a legacy and speaking forward. I have a lot of notes of uh, unfinished poems and things. And I'm like, okay, I keep putting that off. Maybe I'll actually take the time to draw some of those together and put together a little chapbook or something um, 
that is a way of, of sharing my thoughts and my stories with my family going forward. Um, and the last day I'll probably be with David on the beach. <laughs> In fact, I hope we go out together. <laughs> well, if we did, but, it, but you know, if we did, Margaret, it's funny cause you've, you've been writing poems for years now and I'm not sure where you keep them or what yeah. you're even saying. <laughs> that's it. That's why I, I got 30 days to get this done for you. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's kind of amazing. I mean, I, I know that, that there are various famous poets. Maybe George Herbert was one of them, one of Margaret's favorite poets who, who in their own lifetime, no one knew they were writing poetry. <laughs> and then it's all there. And posthumously, they become the famous poet from the 15th or 16th or 19th century or 21st century. So I, I think I, I probably should connect before you die, though. Yeah, let's some get some sunlight poems. on okay. those poems. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> <Gotcha>. <laughs> I hear you. <sighs> Uh, my grandmother used to say, in good marriages, you don't know everything about each other, and that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Surprises all your life is a good thing. <laughs> yeah, so this is Jennifer. I will say, um, for me, my husband and I are late parents. So the first thing that cam- comes to mind is that we are almost 50 this year, uh, which we're very excited about. However, I have children, a child who's under five. So I would worry about them having the roadmap they need and the confidence to know they have the love and all of that. Um, I think that would be, for me, the first thing I would do in that 30 days is, but I, I think I would probably do it in a way where we all experience something new, something that pulls us out of our comfort zone. And, you know, <laughs> jumping out of a plane comes to mind, but you don't do that with a five-year-old. But like something like that, that feels very... Um, unifying with all of the people around me, especially my brother, who's one of my best friends. I mean, those kind of things, I think, that bring us out of our comfort zone together, but we unify through a new experience. And I think the other piece for me in those 30 days is to continue on with how I feel about being a servant leader. You know, is the thing that we've set up in life going to do well for others? Is it going to continue? Um, in whatever way it's supposed to, and just assuming that we've set it up so well during our time every day, not just in that last month, that it actually just continues on its own. So, you know, I think that's part of this, the answer to this question for me, Michael, is around, are we living every day in a way that doesn't put too much pressure on ourselves, but set set things up, set things in motion for the future? So that it's not always about what you have to do in the last month. So the last month you can actually, like Bernard, have fun. Go out there and do your thing. Finish your poems. You know, whatever it is that you you want to do. Um, so I would I would hope that what we've set up so far just is going to be successful, um, specifically for other people. And then I think I would I would do something out of the. <laughs> this out of the out of the box with my family on a regular basis and live it up Um, I think the last day I would absolutely be with my husband and my kids and my immediate family we're extremely close Um, and um, but one thing my my father-in-law did not do when he passed and I love him dearly is I had gotten him a book and I asked him to write something to my son and he chose not to Now, he's a public figure, and my son will see a lot of video on him. My son will see a lot of laws around him. But he will not have that that note from him. And I think there is, I learned a lesson from that. He was too broken up about dying soon to do it. 
but it is something that I would not repeat. I think I would write that thing to my kids, et cetera. So they had that uh, moving forward. If that's helpful to them, and I hope it is. Yeah, it's beautiful. I'm, I'm glad we're having wine with dinner. I, I, I'm thinking about switching to bourbon, which, by the way, I did set myself up. So, you know, for, for clarity, I do have a bottle of bourbon here as well. Um, I think I would take these last 30 days. Um, you'll see I, I do like to be organized. So my mind went to, well, 30 days. I could cut each one in half. That gives me 60. I could map this out and I could get, um, you know, sort of the list of the folks, friends and family that um, are, you know, most important to me. Um, and then I would look to spend one-on-one -on -one time with that sort of core group, um, thinking about trying to leave nothing unsaid and nothing unheard. Um, just trying to learn from, you know, what I hear people when they talk about death. And I, I obviously... We only talk to the living uh, about death. And I often hear people say, I should have said. And so mm. maybe I could use this time not just to say what I want to make sure that the people that I love and care about here, but, um, you know, I wouldn't, I would want to do my best to make sure nobody carries any burden and just the opposite. I would want. To, to sort of help them carry only the positive. Okay, so fine, I'll be dead and gone, but they'll still be here. So I would want to use that time, you know, in, in whatever way makes them lightest and best for the time they have left. Um, and, and then I would definitely take some time, you know, I have three kids, teenagers now, three boys, and I would want to record some, um, you know, messages, Wow, it like makes me sad actually, just <clears throat> thinking about it. Um, you know, for the for the milestones ahead for them. I'm gonna take a sip of wine. And I think that would be nice. You know, for them. And then my last day, uh, I would want us to all go skiing together. And I think, you know, you can do it with all generations. My mom still skis. She's in her 80s. I would hope she wouldn't be here for this. There is no word for someone losing a child. So mm. um, I would want that to occur after she is dead. But, um, you know, we could just ski. And then I could just evaporate, you know, into one of the back bowls where sometimes my kids may think I'm not coming back from anyways, since they're now all better skiers than me. Um, and then they could have that joy of such a positive memory forever of, um, you know, skiing together. I love what you just said, Dan, and what Jennifer said earlier, each of you talking about having a moment, like a moment that people will remember forever that, that we're there with you whether it's skiing or jumping out of a plane or whatever it is, I don't know what my signature moment would be, but I think thinking about that is worth worthwhile. Absolutely. And to underscore the idea of communicating with our kids um, to leave something behind that is specifically for them. If my dad would have done that, 
left a recording that was dedicated to me or a piece of writing, you know, you can imagine that that would be one of the most read things in, in my life or any of our lives um, if we had that. Um, and so that's, that's, a, that's like a reminder from the dead to the living to some extent to say like there is, and, it, and we don't have to wait for it, quite frankly, um, because time isn't promised. Um, I'll share, I'll share just a one quick um, thing that comes up for me around the 30 days before we move on to the next question. And I'm going to borrow from the world of destination weddings. So destination weddings are kind of brilliant because they really separate, they, they filter out people. <laughs> so, <laughs> looks like Jennifer had one. <laughs> and, <Dan. laughs> um, and the more remote, the more the person has to really be committed to that that wedding. Um, and so I, I like this idea of placing myself in New Zealand or something like that. <laughs> Being like, I really want to spend time with you, all the people in my life, like that are close to me and let them know, Hey, I'm going to be here for 29 days. And, um, if you make your way to New Zealand, we're going to spend some really quality time together <laughs> and just see who shows up. You know, <laughs> make sure my family's there, and then, and then, of course, the final day would be a much smaller circle, and it would be very much near water, and hopefully in the mountains. In the um, so, moving on to, um, I think it's going to be our last question tonight, um, and um, this one's asked also a bit of a practical one, um, and it could be a bit of a fun one. I mean, you guys are, everyone's already seeing that there are laughter, there's been some tears. Um, this is. This is a conversation topic that has all the colors of the rainbow, but the last question is about what happens to your body. Um, we live in a remarkable time when it comes to death care. Um, your body can obviously be buried. Um, it can be cremated. Um, you can be now composted in many states, turned into soil within three weeks, um, and then you know, put into a beautiful garden. You can be planted um, in a redwood grove in certain conservation easements. Um, you can be turned into a diamond, quite literally. A, a bit of your cremated remains, or even just your hair, if you don't want to be cremated, can be turned into a diamond. Um, you can be turned into beautiful polished stones, one of my favorite things, parting stone. You can be shot into space. And you can be turned into a coral reef, quite literally, um, and and to a reef that rebuilds other reefs, um, which is kind of extraordinary. So there are a lot of options. <laughs> it's like How a long expensive menu. is it Who to know? be shot into space? That sounds expensive. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think Elon Musk is shooting things into space every day. We just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> throw a little something on side of a rocket um but nonetheless how what happens to your body so this is bernard i've um i've gone back and forth about what i want to happen after i die um so i used to say i was going to donate my body to science until i heard horror stories about some of the uh, medical students um so that's off the table just going to be perfectly honest. That's not going to happen. 
Um, so Bernard, it, what was a what was a horror, horror story? Because I well, that means just how they're uh, you know just playing with the body and you know uh, I mean granted I wouldn't be there you know I wouldn't be coherent to see it but um, at the same time I just didn't like the thought of that um, so. For me, the next thing was just to make sure that I cut down on expense as much as possible. So I was looking at cremation as an option. But after listening to the option of turning into a coral reef, I'd love to have that happen. So I've had a fish tank constantly since I've been 12 years old. I really love the ocean. Um, you know, I love fish. Um, you know, I have a small water feature outside. I, I've stopped saying it's a pond because I've seen, I've gone to people's houses and seen real ponds. So I wouldn't consider mine a pond, but I just love fish. And I love the idea of being able to contribute to nature, which I absolutely love. So I'm going to look into that one and see if it's possible for me to become a coral reef. I have to say now, I think I want to be a coral reef in Venard's fish tank. So I, I'm, you know. Um, you ready for that, Venard? Absolutely, I am. Um, I, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm an organ donor on my driver's license. So that's, uh, I hope, the first thing that happens. Um, and then I think I'm good with the cremation or, or frankly, the, as Bernard said, sort of, you know, the least expensive, easiest to deal with, uh, thing. And then I'm happy to have my ashes, you know, you know, planted in the garden, you know, it's, um, I know that I still have like the ashes of several of our dogs in little boxes up on the shelf. And, um, you know, part of that is lovely. And then part of that is sort of like, well, what do we do with this? And so my dad's ashes are in the garden under a tree. And that's good because, I, you know, like that's where they are. I, I mean, what's going to happen one day with those dog's ashes? So I, I don't want anyone that, you know, my family that survives me to have to sort of still deal with me in some form. And so, you know, spread me in the garden. Yeah. Well, just I think that the statistic I heard is that there are 30 million Americans with ashes in the boxes they came in from the cremation um, center or from crematorium still in a closet somewhere. Wow. Not, not in something that is, you know, giving them honor. So there's a, there's a lot of that. And I think that the, the direction for the family that, that survives me is key. I, I don't want anyone to have to be thinking about what that decision is. That's so for me, it's, it's written down. They have that answer. And they can just do that without having to, you know, decide if they should be able to figure out what that is. It's for me, in my mind, that's too much of a burden. Well, I'd love to go to the coral reef, except the last time I went to the Caribbean, I ended up cutting my arm on a coral reef and getting stitches. So I'm going to, even though I fully love coral reefs, <laughs> I'm actually not going to go in that direction. Wow. Um, and yes, I'm an organ donor. This is Jennifer. Um, but I will say that I often think about it from the perspective of grief. We all know that if there's an old saying, another old saying for my grandmother, if you go around grief, it'll stick with you for your life. If you go through grief, you'll find the sun. And when she said that to me, I thought, what's the best way other than communicating and planning and preparing and make sure every, making sure everyone knows the plan? 
And for me, that was cremation because um, with my Aunt Carolyn, back to the original person I'm still honoring with this candle, um, being able to spread her ashes where she wanted it to go and where we all felt wonderful together on the beach that she was at, it just, it released my spirit and it allowed me to go through the grief versus going around it. So I thought of it from the perspective of the person that's going to be experiencing the grief, which are all of our loved ones. I will tell you, my husband is doing the opposite. <laughs> He's going <laughs> to, so it was an interesting conversation with us. Are we together or aren't we? And so ultimately we chose not to be because I, I really believe in this grief piece and he really wants to be next to his father. And so there is this, so I may shift as to where my ashes are spread closer to him. Um, but that was, it was an interesting conversation between my husband and me. As we are older parents, we had to do all of this a little while ago. Yeah. Well, the beauty of ashes, I'll just let you know, is you, you can parse them out. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. A, a nice ceremonial places. urn, um, <laughs> you know, at the head of <laughs> the plot. That's true. That's so thank you for that. Yeah, of course. Well, I'm a big gardener, so I love the compost option. Mm-hmm. I do. I, I heard, Bernard, I heard what you were saying about just feeling that I think the body, although it is no longer uh, in regular use and we are kind of ashes to ashes and dust to dust that it needs to be respected i think that's something that goes way back to ancient cultures about concerns with burying the dead so i do think that i would i would want to do it in a way that everybody in the family was comfortable with in terms of composting me and then dan as you said designate a particular garden um to, in which to use that compost um, uh, as, as a way to enrich the soil in that place. Because it is helpful when you, uh, when you let the family know where you'd like to be. And in fact, David mentioned his mother earlier. Her ashes were in our garage for a long time. And I said, more than got, a year. She, she didn't leave any direction. She did die very suddenly and was ill toward the end and probably just didn't have the opportunity to think that through for us or just wasn't her focus. And so I was like, guys, we got to come up with a place that it just feels disrespectful to leave them on a shelf in the garage. But his family came up with a great idea. Yeah, it it was. And uh, so we don't live too far from Mount Vernon, George Washington's abode here in Northern Virginia. And so we, we took an Episcopalian priest who's a dear friend of the family and, um, and family members and cousins and we snuck onto the property. Well, actually, we legitimately paid our, our pass to go to Mount Vernon that day, uh, 10 years ago or so. And we found a gorgeous tree just about 50 yards from Mount Vernon. And we snuck under the tree and set a quick right and scattered mom's ashes right there. Don't tell anybody about Mount Vernon, by the way, because <laughs> I know, I'm not sure what we did was allowed. But it's what happened, and it was a spectacular. In fact, that Episcopalian priest has since written a book of his memoirs and included that as a short chapter uh, <laughs> because he was he was uh, a subversive, uh, and that's what we loved about him. And so was my mother. So it made a lot a lot of sense for us. But she she loved Mount Vernon. It was one of her did. places on earth, and it was in view of the Potomac, right where she used to stand and paint. Mm. That's right. And she was a gardener like Margaret as well. And Margaret, I think I'd want to be near you. So wherever you are, I think that's right. where I am. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I 
I've always just imagined a traditional burial. So maybe it's, I don't know. I, I, I'm one thing's for sure, Michael, I've not actually finally decided this, but I think just being buried as my corpse and allow me just to kind of go to seed over the course of time. But more than anything, I think about a headstone that, uh, that celebrates Margaret and me and probably has some jester element to it. And if over the course of time it got rubbed and maybe over the course of time started to erode because people came and rubbed it for good luck mm. for their stock market oh, investing. Mentos, yeah. <laughs> maybe they come by and there's a jester and there's an opportunity to rub it and it gets worn down over time and it gives people joy and a sense that investing is going to work for them, which I sure hope it does for everybody. That's kind of where I am right now in this. I love that. Um, and, you know, it's funny that we think of headstones as kind of old-fashioned in some sense. And the the cutting-edge research around grief, or the, at least the, the, the most, um, you know, recognized and acknowledged thinking around grief is that Something like a headstone, some place that you can visit, something it is that is palpable to continue a relationship with the person that has died is actually the healthiest way through grief. Um, it's not about getting back to normal. It's not about integrating. It's not about these, you know, these five stages that there are no five stages of grief. Um, Elizabeth Kubler Ross herself disavowed that idea before she died. Um, grief is messy. Um, but one thing that does really help is a continuing bond or a continuing relationship. And this is seen in religions and traditions and cultures throughout time. So, uh, you know, I love all of these ideas. My, for, for me, for my body, my favorite thing is these stones that you can make. It's called parting stone. And they take your cremated remains and they turn, they use all of them and they're turned into these beautiful polished stones that are whatever color you come out of the process of being cremated. And there's a variety of colors that come out of the of the um, crematoriums. And then you have about 40 stones that can be, you know, given to loved ones. You can say who to divide it among, where to put them, or leave it open. But there is that kind of comic, tragic image of people trying to cast ashes and then the gust of wind comes up and all of a sudden you're eating grandma um which <laughs> is it's not just something you see in hollywood like it really is a thing like you know it doesn't take much wind to catch hold of ashes so just wow. be you know beware and people are like we'll do it on a boat in the ocean well i got news for you the ocean is windy windy yeah <laughs> <laughs> waves generate wind themselves too you know <laughs> it's like so um we'll we'll leave you with that image but there is now we've gone through um a few questions and, and we're going to close the dinner and the table in the way that we ask all people to um that, that host these um and just just a note to the to the listener i picked some questions from the hat um but the website deathoverdinner.org asks you a, um, a a leading question. So it's essentially, why do you want to have this dinner? Um, have someone you loved received a terminal diagnosis? Are you grieving? Are you just a young family or a young person or any age person just thinks this is a great idea or spiritually or philosophically interesting? Um, so 
it asks you that basic question, the why of it. And when you answer that question from multiple choice, it creates a script for you. Um, and the script consists of pretty much what we're doing tonight, but it's custom generated around the why. Um, so um, the last thing, that's just something to know. Um, and you don't have to, you don't have to come up with these questions. They're, they're baked in for you. You get a full script for um, how the evening goes, plus the invitation um, language that you can use because it's a weird thing to invite people to dinner to. So we've like, here's, here's a, here's a great little lift for you and we'll describe it for you that, so you can send it in an email or however you want to, to people you want to have come to dinner. So the last thing that we do, the way that we've had all of these dinners end around the world um, is something called an appreciation, what we call an appreciation in the round. Um, and it's it's very simple. It's a great way to stop thinking about death and going into the the rest of our day, evening slash life. Um, and the way it's, it would work at a table is somebody gets inspired to say something they appreciate or admire or noticed about a person who's sitting to their left. So we just have a moment of silence, and somebody says, oh, "I have something to say about the person sitting to my left." And they say something pretty short, some appreciation. And then that person turns to the person on their left. And it goes around until everybody has been appreciated once. And we kind of teach people how to take in an appreciation. You don't, you know, try to deflect it. You just say thank you. You don't then in turn appreciate them. There's just taking it in. So some people, it's the first time that they've actually properly received an appreciation. <laughs> um, we don't know how to do that well. So. Tonight, because we're not sitting around a table, we'll just have whoever wants to start pick somebody. It looks like David's hand is up, and he's going to appreciate somebody. And then you'll pick somebody who hasn't been appreciated yet, um, and we'll go kind of daisy chain all the way around the circle. Well, thank you, Michael. And you're sitting to my left tonight, so thank you so much. Even though I'm in one Washington and you're in another Washington, I feel so connected to you, and I'm so grateful for the time that you've given our listeners this this month. Last week's interview with you about your book, Let's Talk About Death Over Dinner, was a highlight for me. Being able to do this with this group of friends is an even bigger highlight for me. Michael, you have made this possible for us tonight. Uh, you have done this thousands and now by association millions of times. So I appreciate you and what you're doing. As soon as I heard about your book, I thought, that's a great title. I want to read that. Now, having read that, I know the power of what we've shared this week. And um, I, I, in fact, I got a tweet. Um, this is from at Sunflower Marcus. I don't know Marcus, but this is just a simple reminder of the importance of your work and what you're doing. This came just yesterday to me, reflecting on last week's podcast with you. Marcus said, Thank you so much for last week's podcast. It was the most important one, the most timely. I was in the room on Thursday when my grandpa passed away. I'm having trouble sleeping. I'm haunted and terrified, but I know I need to talk about death. So Marcus, I'm pretty sure you're listening to us right now. I hope you know you're right. And we've got... We've got an all-star in the room with us all here this week, and his name's Michael Hebb, and his work 
and what he's enabled us to share tonight with so many of you. Michael, you were sitting on my left tonight. <laughs> All right. Well, that makes it my turn. Thank you, David. Um, so, Jennifer, you're more or less on my left. There's a little bit of a, a bump in the road, but we're going to get over to, to, to the left. And, and folks don't have to continue with the left, but I actually did want to acknowledge you, Jennifer. Um, there was a vulnerability about what you shared um, tonight in relationship to your father-in-law um, and a disappointment. And that's a hard thing to share. And how you wanted to make sure that that experience was different when it came to you. But the, the reason why I think it's so important to share things with such vulnerability and also grace, um, but specifically the, the vulnerability around it, is it's healing for us personally to be able to say those things. Um, but it also gives other people permission um, to think, feel, and say things that they might think are hard to say. Um, and so thank you for doing that. And, I, and it impacted me, and I'm sure it impacted um, a lot of our listeners. Uh, thank you, Michael. I really appreciate that. Um, so I'm going to send an appreciation to Dan. What Dan doesn't know is that I started my career in the hospitality business, too. And so I feel you the whole time on here around how um, focused you are in the human. And when you showed your emotion around a topic, which uh, not all uh, of the men in my life do, um, and they don't find it as easy to do that. And I just really appreciated your vulnerability there. Um, I also love your song, Born to Run, because it fits who we know of you in the press. And now that I know you just a little bit personally, I feel like I, I can see why you chose that song, because you are a trailblazer that we love to follow and watch. And, um, and um, <laughs> speaking of trailblazers, it makes sense about your skiing. So it's just like all the way around, I've just felt this connection with you, but really appreciate your vulnerability um, and willingness to step out of the box. Thank you so much. I, uh, I really appreciate that. Um, Margaret, I, I have to say that as I was listening to you, um, your respect and acknowledgement, at least the way I absorbed it, of uh, tradition or history or uh, you know there was just a, a reverence in the way that you talked about some things that that matter and it, it struck me in a way that i think i needed to be struck that you helped me think that i shouldn't just be thinking about myself and that there is a bigger picture and um history matters and tradition matters and it all matters. And, and I, although I don't know you, um, I just really absorbed that um, respect and reverence and awareness from you. And I thought that that was really lovely. So thank you for that. Thank you. And Bernard, you are to my left. And I, I want to mention that I appreciated so much the way you were willing to, to jump in I'm one of those, I got to pause and think this through and find the right answer. And you were just 
ready, but so thoughtful in all of your responses. And I think they were they were fabulous um, because they show you are a person of deep reflection um, and yet always ready to maybe upend a little bit, as you said, with your song um, that you'd like at your service and as, and willing to just to be to put yourself forward. Um, and I do think your your grandfather would be would be very proud. Thank you. So I'd like to thank David, as I've done before. Um, and I had the privilege of meeting David in 2019 through Leadership Greater Washington. And we were a part of the same mind trust. And over that time, I really got to know David. And he's since become one of my favorite people on earth. And I don't say that lightly. Uh, there are several things that I like about David. So it's not just this conversation tonight, why I'm appreciative of his friendship. It's the fact that he pushes me to do better. So I do try to make sure I surround myself by people that encourage me in certain directions. So as a result of my friendship with David, uh, one of the things he's given me is that I have invested more aggressively. I have tried to pass that message on to others. Um, and I just appreciate the fact that he's unapologetic about being a brilliant person. And that is certainly something that I try to make sure it's cool. Um, it's cool to be a nerd. And, you know, that that's something I, I get called the nerd a lot. Um, so it's good to have smart friends. And I appreciate your friendship, David. Looking forward to many years together. Thank you, Bernard. You know, I last got to talk with you and Dan on this podcast in an uncomfortable uncom conversation we did two years ago. And I said to you guys just before we started tonight, Whenever we get intense, whenever we go deep, I like this this group, this group, and obviously Dan and Bernard come uh, to mind. But to have Jennifer and Margaret join um, was so special. Each of you is such a self confident, strong voice on your own. Each of you, I was fascinated, waiting to hear what you'd say to each of Michael's prompts, and uh, and I felt so rewarded. So thank you, Bernard, and thank you each. Thank you, Michael. Well, we did it. You all have survived a death dinner. So, <laughs> As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.